Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Hello and welcome to part two of our year-end review, Compliance Program Trends, a practical review of pro- compliance and ethics program trends uh, here from Compliance Beat. Um, we hope that you are enjoying your holidays. Happy holidays to everyone out there. Uh, as always, if you haven't already, uh, please take the time to subscribe to our podcast. It makes a difference. Please also, uh, if you have a question, comment, suggestion for a future podcast, would just like to get in touch for, with us for any reason, uh, you can find information on how to reach us on the ComplianceBeat.com website, Moorhead Consulting. Dot com website, or you can email me directly at eric at moreheadconsulting.com. Always, always happy to hear from the listeners. Um, as uh, I mentioned last episode, we have an upcoming webinar with our uh, friends at the Clear Law Institute. That's clearlawinstitute.com. Uh, it's going to be coming up on January the 17th, 2019 at 3 p.m. Uh, I think I've failed to mention in the past, but if it uh, if you didn't already realize this, I, if you can't make that particular time, they do record uh, these webinars and you can listen to them at a different time. I've done uh, three or four uh, different webinars with the Clear Law Institute over the last year. Um, they are all um, uh, have been approved for CLE. So if you're interested in or contemplating updating your code of conduct, uh, I think it uh, would be a good uh, session for you to listen to. We talk a lot about uh, the practical aspects of putting together and, and, and conducting such a project, <clears throat> and you also can get credit for it. Um, there will be a link to the uh, registration page in the show notes on compliancebeat.com for this uh, upcoming webinar, or you can go to clearlawinstitute.com uh, and search my name, Eric Moorhead, or updating your code of conduct best practices, and you'll probably find it again. That's going to be January 17th, 2019. Uh, so coming up pretty quick in a couple of weeks at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, it's about an hour, hour and 15 minutes with questions. So last week we talked about three uh, different uh, trends that uh, I've seen over the last year or so, uh, kind of as a year-end roundup. And I think the last couple of year-end programs we've done over the last two or three years, I tend to have, and I think this is true with a lot of podcasts and magazine articles and other year-end lookbacks, uh, we tended to look at really big issues, uh, sort of structural issues, or for lack of a better term, philosophical issues uh, that we were all facing as a in the compliance space. Um, this year, I wanted to do something a little bit different. So I was talking about some very practical things, some practical compliance program trends that I've seen uh, over the last uh, year, year and a half uh, that I thought were worth uh, talking about and sort of uh, focusing on. Uh, I mentioned three last week, and I have uh, three today that I'm, I'm going to talk about as well. Uh, and there are plenty of other things that are going on too, and, and, and new innovations that are happening all the time. Uh, obviously, uh, technology uh, just generally is accelerating the pace of change 
uh, in organizations, and that includes compliance. Um, but uh, one thing that always remains the same, and this is the first thing I wanted to talk about today, is the relative lack of resources uh, that are often uh, applied to the compliance program. Uh, the compliance program is, you know, very often uh, finding itself uh, sort of fighting uh, for air, fighting for um, resources when trying to put together a program. And uh, one of the things that uh, compliance officers have been doing for a long time is uh, leveraging other resources and leveraging other opportunities that are out there. Um, one thing, one big change that I've seen, and a positive change, is I'm seeing more and more of uh, what I call the action compliance officer, uh, leveraging opportunities to get out of the compliance office itself, uh, both physically and mentally, uh, but also uh, to, to, to find out more about the operation of the organization, to be out in the field as much as possible, uh, going to events, uh, latching on to other training uh, that's going on, uh, whether that's safety training or, or some other training, uh, to, to also uh, have an opportunity for uh, the compliance officer or some of the compliance resources to be involved in that process, going on a, a, a tour of the different facilities. Uh, maybe there have been new facilities, new parts of your organization that have been um, added here in the last couple of years and uh, you haven't actually been to those facilities or met those managers or those those employees. Um, getting out of the um, uh, uh, headquarters and um, uh, taking leveraging opportunities to speak or, or just to listen um, or to be involved in other training or events, uh, sales uh, sales events, um, uh, any kind of team building, uh, manager training. Uh, a couple of companies I've worked with in the last uh, two or three years have added an entirely new uh, compliance component to their manager training. Uh, organizations over a certain size, it seems like pretty universally, have some sort of manager training uh, path that includes uh, periodic uh, uh, training on, on those skills, those soft skills, if you will, uh, for leadership. Um, adding to that mix a component that talks about compliance responsibilities for managers and having either the people responsible for that manager training or somebody uh, from the compliance office involved in that process. Uh, just taking every opportunity that present, presents itself to kind of break out of the box. Um, the more and more that uh, compliance can be integrated into other activities, other events, other training activities, uh, other operational activities, it's going to make it much more effective. Um, it's going to increase your reach. Uh, it's going to uh, bring up important compliance topics in a completely different environment than where people are used to uh, hearing about these topics. It's not just going to be in that formal training that everybody has to take here at the end of the year uh, to satisfy those folks at the home office just to get it off, get that monkey off my back. I'm going to go ahead and click through that training and get it done. That's that's the touch point of of uh, compliance. Uh, in the past that we want to move away from that. We want to have touch points when they are engaged in their manager training. We want to have touch points when they're at a sales meeting. We want to have touch points when they are um, going to a safety meeting. Uh, 
every opportunity out there uh, to to just get a little bit of information or touch point in, uh, we need to take it. And I, I'm seeing more and more organizations uh, really focus on that and try to expand the reach of compliance through um, opportunities that aren't strictly compliance related. The second thing I wanted to talk about is, is somewhat related to that, uh, and it is uh, something that has come up quite a bit over the last few years. Uh, uh, during the Great Recession, uh, M&A activity kind of dried up for a year or two, and then it started back up, and now it's, uh, in the last few years, it's really well apace. Um, we see some really large uh, 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 headline deals going on, but there's lots of smaller organizations all the time uh, that are getting acquired or merging together. Um, and one of the trends that I'm seeing that is a positive trend, that is something that if it's not going on in your organization and, and your organization is involved in a lot of M&A activity, you may want to see how it can be integrated. And that's having uh, the compliance officer or some compliance resources as part of the deal team. Uh, when, you, when your organization is identifying potential targets for acquisition, uh, one of the questions that more and more organizations are asking uh, is, does the compliance and ethics uh, profile of this organization fit with our organization? And if it doesn't, uh, what are the issues here that we need to be aware of uh, and, and, um, and, and uh, account for in putting together this, uh, in putting together this deal? It's uh, a really important aspect of, uh, of mergers and acquisitions that still is not universal, but is certainly growing. And if your organization is involved in um, uh, reasonable amount of activity where you're making acquisitions, it needs to be part of it. Uh, because, uh, you know, what are the big M&A failures that we know of uh, when we look back over the last few years? A lot of it has to do with uh, conduct um, uh, and reputation issues that the acquiring entity uh, didn't know about or didn't completely understand when they made the acquisition. Um, a compliance officer uh, who is schooled in uh, issue spotting and risk assessment around compliance issues can be invaluable on a deal team. Uh, that um, perspective needs to be considered. Uh, something as uh, uh, foreign in the past to M&A as culture is really important. I know of a couple of organizations, one in particular, a banking organization I've worked with over the last few years, uh, where one of the key key five or six questions they ask right at the beginning is what is the culture of this organ of this uh, bank that we're thinking about acquiring and does it fit with our culture and if not uh, then we need to move on I mean it's a it's a uh, up or down question for for some organizations about uh, the ethical culture uh, the, per the perceived ethical culture of a target organization um, e even if the numbers uh, uh, look good uh, if the culture itself seems imperiled, uh, then some organizations will just flat walk away from that. And I think that that's wise in many cases. Uh, you don't uh, necessarily see that all the time. Um, you know, that may not be uh, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the primary motivator in a lot of M&A activity, but perhaps it should be. Uh, because again, it comes back to it comes back to bottom bottom line issues. Uh, if the reputational 
a hit that you're going to take because there's been some sort of misconduct or failure, uh, or you have a culture where that sort of misconduct or failure is likely, um, then that's going to affect uh, the ultimate value of that deal, uh, no matter what the uh, other performance factors uh, might show. So that's the other uh, key trend, again, that's been really picking up steam in the last few years, again, sort of hand in hand with M&A activity picking up is I'm seeing more and more uh, compliance officers or at least some compliance resources being brought to bear um, before the deal is actually inked. And I think that's an important thing to consider if you're not already doing it. And then the third thing I wanted to talk about today um, is uh, something that is not new necessarily, but I have seen it really pick up in the last couple of years. Uh, one, of it, I, one of the reasons I think this has picked up is because the general profile of compliance and the compliance officer within the organization has been rising. Um, we're seeing uh, that position coalesce and become much more, um, uh, much more institutional in many organizations. And so therefore, uh, it becomes a position that um, uh, uh, demands access to the highest levels of the organization. And what I'm talking about here is something that's been in the sentencing guidelines uh, from the beginning, uh, the organizational sentencing guidelines from the beginning. And that's access uh, to the board of directors. And this is something that um, I'm personally proud of because I was involved in the change in 2010 uh, to the organizational sentencing guidelines that talked about uh, strengthening that relationship, or as we characterize it, the responsibility, and, and it's characterized as a responsibility in the uh, sentencing guidelines for the person or persons responsible for the day-to-day -day operation of the program, because that's how compliance officers defined in the code. It's not what your title is, it's what you do. For, the, for, the, for that person or those people uh, to have direct access uh, to the board of directors. And so one of the trends that I'm seeing is that this is finally being acted on. Um, the first couple of years after the amendment in 2010 uh, saw some movement, uh, saw some uh, organizations changing their charters. Uh, but uh, as is always the case with the sentencing guidelines, the sentencing guidelines provide the floor uh, but best practices tend to um, uh, move beyond that. Uh, the bare minimum that the sentencing guidelines call for is that the person or persons responsible for the day-to-day -day operation of the program have access uh, to uh, the uh, board or the subcommittee of the board responsible for the program in two instances. One, when there's been misconduct or, or as the guidelines uh, characterize everything as criminal misconduct because they are criminal sentencing guidelines. And secondly, um, uh, on an annual basis, uh, updating on the status of the program. Uh, so that's pretty basic, is at least once a year, you know, kind of doing a state of the state and having that fail safe if something goes terribly wrong and there's criminal conduct. But what I'm seeing, um, surprisingly, and, and or maybe not surprisingly, but but beneficially, I'm seeing many, many organizations much having a much more formalized uh, 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 contact between the board of directors and the uh, compliance officer. Um, uh, you know, having uh, a, a dedicated, dedicated executive time with the audit committee of the board or whichever committee of the board has the uh, authority over the program where just the compliance officers in session with uh, those board members for a period of time so they can have uh, some constructive and direct discussions. And secondly, um, I'm seeing more and more organizations where there is a strong informal 
uh, day-to-day relationship between the chair of the audit committee of the board of directors and the compliance officer where they uh, will talk on the phone or they'll have a, a weekly or bi-weekly update uh, where they'll touch base in between those quarterly meetings or uh, and, and discuss ongoing activities, initiatives, uh, issues that have come up, cases that are uh, being considered or resolved. Um, so um, the change that I'm seeing is that there is definitely much more push uh, for this sort of uh, uh, relationship that is an ongoing relationship and not uh, you know once a year for five minutes relationship. Um, and uh, the other end of that, which I think is uh, very interesting and I'm seeing more and more of, is um, because the compliance officer or those responsible for compliance are having more face time, if you will, with the board of directors, we're seeing better education of the board uh, around compliance issues. And don't forget that um, training and education around uh, compliance risk is not just something for employees. It's for everybody in the entire organization, and that includes the board of directors. Um, When I first started uh, advising companies eight or ten years ago uh, around compliance training and particularly training the board, there was still a lot of reticence about, oh, I don't know, you know, the board is so busy, the board has such a stacked agenda, I'll never be able to, you know, get this sort of training uh, approved. I mean, they don't have time for it. And I'm seeing a lot of creative solutions where uh, the board is not necessarily, you're not necessarily jamming the train compliance training into those quarterly meetings or those uh, six meetings a year, um, but you're, you're finding alternate times and methods, including uh, online training uh, to get to the board members. And I think that's part and parcel of this stronger um, uh, both formal and informal relationship pushing for more access, pushing for a a clear uh, line of communication and authority from the board of directors to the compliance apparatus of the organization. It's happening much more frequently, and that is a good trend, and um, it's something that I see, uh, you know, again, uh, sort of a trickle starting in 2010, and that trickle has become a flood here in the last couple of years. So those are three other things uh, to kind of uh, bookend the, th- the three items we talked about last week. Um, I hope, again, that you are having a happy holiday. I uh, hope that you, like me, are looking forward uh, to the new year of 2019 uh, uh, and all of the work that we have to do, because we have a lot of work to do, um, but uh, ready to get to it. Um, as always, uh, I am uh, humbled and pleased that uh, you all listen to this podcast, and please Uh, do reach out if you have uh, any questions or comments for us because we do like to hear from you. So until next time, have a happy holidays. Uh, Join us for our our, uh, webinar on uh, January 17th uh, and join us for future editions of Compliance Beat. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.